Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, we're continuing through this incredible account of the early church. It was the first of its kind. You raised it up out of nothing. And you raised it up out of people who already thought they had everything. And you changed minds and hearts. You revealed parts of your promise and truth, the work of your Holy Spirit that had not even been thought about, anticipated, let alone experienced prior to the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. So Father, just once again impress us with the glorious story. Impress us with the working of God as it's been recorded and and make it alive and, and cause us to say we too today are part of this great thing. And may what we do this morning just add to the the Savior's glory, for we ask it in his name. Amen. What would you say is the Christian message? How would you respond if someone were to ask, what do you Christians believe? If someone were to ask, what must I do to be saved? Like the Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul. What would you say specifically? How would you lay it out? How would you explain it? How do you explain it to yourself when you think, what is it that I believe? What is it that defines me? What is the Christian message? What would we say at such a time? Well, in our passage of the morning, we're going to hear what Peter said. What Peter included as he shared with Cornelius the centurion, what I have titled this morning, a most marvelous message. Indeed, it's the most marvelous message that has ever come to mankind. It's clearly recorded in today's key scripture. It's also an overwhelming message. Turn to somebody near you right now and say, I think I'm about to be overwhelmed. (laughs) Now you might after, hopefully you can say, and I'm ready for it. That's why I come to church to be overwhelmed by the truth of God. Well, this message today has that capability. Now we're going to pick up our story today right where we left off last week. Last week, we left off in Acts chapter 10, verse 29. We read half of it. So we're literally picking right up and reading, starting with the second half of verse 29 and going on to verse 43. Peter, just by way of review a little bit, Peter had been brought to Cornelius' home in Caesarea. Cornelius was a centurion, 
love God, love the Jewish people, love the law of Moses, was faithful in trying to live a life that would please the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And an angel appeared to him and said, Cornelius, basically, there's more for you to know. I want you to send some men down to Joppa and look for a man called Simon who's staying at another Simon's house, Simon the Tanner, and you bring him, bring him and those with him, and he will tell you the something more you need to know. And so Peter just arrived. And he had entered into Cornelius' home. And he had told Cornelius, now you understand, Cornelius, just want to make this clear, you understand that we Jews, by our law, are not allowed to enter into a <clears throat> Gentile's home. But he says, God has shown me, quite recently, God has shown me that I should not call anyone unclean that God has called clean. So when your men came for me, I came, as I said a moment ago, without objection. I didn't fight them. They didn't have to drag me here. Because I sensed, well, the Spirit told me, he had sent these men to me, and so here I am. Just inside the threshold, Peter says this. And then, beginning with the second part of Acts 10, 29, we read this. And follow along with me. Peter asked Cornelius, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is also called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here. And we read last week, there's quite a bunch of folks in Cornelius' home. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. And here begins this incredible message that we're going to examine this morning. Then Peter began to speak. I now know how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but does what is right, that is righteous. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, John the Baptist. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I would say this morning that was indeed a most marvelous message. Tucked away in that message, and maybe you picked them out as I read through, uh, and I would encourage you, really, as we go through this message, don't just follow your note sheet right down. That's mostly for you to take home and remember. But be surprised as we go through these one by one. We're going to examine seven essential truths that Peter shared. We would say these are seven essential truths of a gospel presentation of the marvelous message of Jesus Christ. So we're going to examine them one by one in the exact order that Peter gave them. And I think that we will discover that very few gospel messages given today contain them all. We would certainly say that Peter gave to those people that day the full gospel. Well, here we go. Essential truth one. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen? Jesus is Lord of all. Here's what Peter said, verse 36. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's saying to Cornelius, you know, this news has traveled around. Three years Jesus was in ministry, and you know he was sent frequently, he would say, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Cornelius, I know, living here by the seashore, you've heard these things. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, I didn't mention last week, but I'll mention it this week. From Joppa, where Cornelius' men found Peter, up to Caesarea is about 40 miles. And they were walking. No doubt, Peter had learned a lot about Cornelius on that 40-mile walk. It would seem that Cornelius and his family were well aware, well aware of the life and ministry of, of Jesus. They knew he had been sent by God to the people of Israel. What they did not know is that this man, Jesus Christ, was the Lord of all. Peter tucked that in right at the end of that sentence. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about God sent him to the, the people of Israel. Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You see, it was God himself. They didn't know that Jesus was God himself contained in human flesh. That he was, as Peter had once declared him to be, when Peter says, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Years later, the Apostle Paul would write these words to the mostly Gentile believers in the city of Philippi. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Paul wrote, speaking of Jesus, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue 
every tongue, every person will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, my friends, I want to point out today that is the beginning of our marvelous gospel message. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That means that his will and his authority trumps all of yours. Right? All of mine. If he's Lord, then what are we? Not. Yes. We're under only one Lord. If we're all Lords, well, then we're just a bunch of leaders. But if he's the Lord, that at the mention of his name, someday every knee on earth, heaven and earth and under the earth even, what's ever there, will bow the knee to him and confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, Peter made that the first truth of his gospel presentation. Very few gospel presentations begin with that truth. But Peter's did. It's a central truth, one. So let's think about it. Let me just ask this question. Can someone really be saved who does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of all? As the Lord over their life as well as over all? See, that thought, that thought all by itself, can someone really be saved who does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of all? In fact, the one who is my Lord, the thought that a person cannot be saved without acknowledging who Jesus really is and who the Bible says he is, is a kind of a daunting thought. That can be a little overwhelming. Frequently we ask people, have you been saved? We don't necessarily ask them, so, do you recognize Jesus as the Lord of your life? Peter started with that truth. This man that you've heard about who went all through the, the country of the Jews doing these things was sent by God to them. This man is the Lord. He would be your Lord. You either acknowledge him as Lord or you live in rebellion against him. So that's the first thing we have to say. First thing that Peter had to say to Cornelius. Here's now essential truth too contained in this message. Jesus ministered, Jesus the man on this earth, ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter says in verse 38, first part, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. See, that's just identifying his earthly identity. He was a man. He was a baby born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth, that way off out of the place, you know, tiny little spot up there in the north. Hardly anybody in Jerusalem knew where Nazareth even was. And so Peter identifies, this is the person, and this is where he came from. This is how spectacular he was in the flesh. He was Jesus of Nazareth. 
But God anointed this Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't say, God made this Jesus powerful. He doesn't say this Jesus of Nazareth was the powerful God walking among men. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. The power that comes from such an anointing. Now, Luke himself had declared that great truth in the first book that Luke had penned called the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And here's how Luke expressed it in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He says, talking about Jesus, introducing Jesus to his readers after the time in the wilderness where he's tempted of the devil and, and we're familiar with that story after John the Baptist baptized him. After that wilderness temptation, Luke says, now Jesus returned to Galilee. That's where Nazareth was. That's also where Capernaum was, which was a, a little bigger place. Jesus returned to Galilee, get this, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Now, let me just tell you, some of you have been with us through this little journey. This has been one of the great discoveries that we together have made and taught and been transformed by here in this place over the past several years. To realize that Jesus himself, having become a man, we actually started to believe what the Bible says about him. Something that it just kind of slides by most Christians. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, that when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside all his godly privilege, all his godly powers, all his ability to just walk around like he's God of the earth. He laid all that aside because he was going to become one of us, and none of us are that, are we? Some of you think you are. <laughs> A man is the king of his own what? Castle. Castle. Nobody messes with me in my own home. Just bow down in the morning, kids, and ask me, oh, great one, what would you have me do today? For you are in charge of my life, and I am nothing but a mere child. The only person we could ever approach that way would be God himself, and how seldomly do we do that? Jesus became a man. He laid aside so much of that. It's part of the sacrifice he made. So we have discovered what the Bible actually says, that Jesus himself, having become a man, having laid aside some scholars would say, phrase it, the independent exercise of his divine prerogatives, he ministered on this earth in that lowered, humbled position by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like his followers would be expected to do. Remember that terrible stormy night on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus saved the disciples from destruction 
by stilling the wind and the waves. And, and they questioned, Mark 4, 41, who is this man? I like the King James there. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, the answer wasn't given to them. Mark wrote that in his gospel, wanting every one of us who read it to have that question in our own head. Who indeed? Who indeed is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And through the years, we've told that story and, and we've amazed people that why they had the Son of God right there in the boat with them. They didn't even know it. Here's really what they had in the boat. He was the Son of God. He could have had his birth certificate in his back pocket. But he had laid aside all the free exercise of all the authority and the power that being the Son of God would let him do. What he really was, the correct answer was, what manner of man is this? He is a man completely filled with and controlled by the Spirit of the living God. He went around in the power of the Spirit, the Scripture says. And Peter says it here. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter made sure that Cornelius knew that. Peter himself was learning what it meant to be such a man. What would a man like that be who's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, Peter was learning what that meant as just a, a few days before power had flown through Peter and he had raised a, Aeneas, a paralytic, from his bed and, and restored his strength. Peter had gone into the bedroom of Dorcas, a godly good lady that the people were just mourning over the fact that she had died when, when she had been such a, such a blessing to them. Peter walked into her bedroom, took her by the hand and said, Tabitha, young lady, get up. He had raised her from the dead. Peter's just a man. A man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. A man under the control of the Holy Spirit. A man walking in the footsteps of Jesus himself. Where Jesus has said, greater deeds than mine, you will even do all of you together. See, what, a, what an amazing thing. And so, as Peter's telling the story, he makes sure that Cornelius and all those listening know where the power came from. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, was living a submitted life to the Almighty God. He was yielded to the very Spirit of God who had been sent upon him at his own baptism. And he came from that wilderness temptation time into the city, into the places of human suffering and need, and he ministered to them in the power of that Holy Spirit. And, and now we see Peter and others ministering in the same way, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, what we've discovered here the last few years is, is the delight of walking with the Holy Spirit yourself. Knowing that everyone who's truly been given new life by Jesus Christ through his death on Calvary has been given the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that walked with Jesus is the Holy Spirit that can now walk with every single one of us and allow us to serve God successfully. 
and allow things to develop in our lives that, that make us more, as we sang, more holy, more true, more loving, more kind, more sin-free. See, that's the, it's the same Holy Spirit that walked with Jesus, that walked with Peter. The same Holy Spirit is the one who accompanies every single born-again believer through all the ups and downs of this earthly life. Power to overcome, power to endure is given to all who have surrendered themselves to Christ the Lord. So essential truth number one, Jesus is the Lord of all. Essential truth number two is Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's another, essential truth three, Jesus freed people from the power of the devil. Is that not good? That's what Peter says, verse 38, second part. He says, he, that is Jesus, went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because, here we go, he didn't say because, he was God. He says, because God was with him. See, Peter said it that way. He knew that's where, what was going on. Because God was with him. Now, here's the Gospel of Mark, which is really the gospel that most Bible scholars think is really the story of Jesus as seen through Peter's eyes as he shared it with John Mark, who then wrote the gospel. That can't be proven, but that's what most people think. Because Peter promised in his letters, he said, after I'm gone, I'm making provision that after I'm gone, after I've died, I will leave behind a means whereby you can remember these things. So anyway, Mark chapter 5, verse 15. Peter's telling Cornelius, Jesus freed those who had been under the power of the devil. Here's Mark chapter 5, verse 15. Peter was right there. When they came to Jesus, the townspeople, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. A man just in horrible condition. Absolutely horrible condition. A whole legion of demons. He cut himself, he screamed, he hollered, he lived way far away from any other human being. And they saw him sitting there. And he was dressed. And he was in his right mind. Don't raise your hands, but how, how many of you have a kid or two that you'd pray, oh God, let that happen to him? Let him be sitting here. Let him be dressed decently. Let him be in his right mind. That would be so wonderful. But that's what happened to this guy. Jesus, he had been under the power, the control of the devil, and Jesus had freed him. You see, the power of the devil is the backstory to this entire fallen, tragic world. Only divine power given through the person of the Holy Spirit, can free human beings from the power of the devil. Certainly not all of them are possessed. Not all of them are out of their minds. But every single human being who lives rebelliously against the God of this universe, who lives unsubmitted to the Almighty himself, is under the power, the influence, the control, and sometimes a damaging control of the devil himself. 
rebellion, addiction, confusion, man's inhumane treatment of his fellow man. Papers full of that these last days. Prideful self-exaltation. All of these are the actions of men and women who've been overpowered by the devil. The exalted Lord of all. By the power released by the Holy Spirit whom he has now sent into the world is the only way that people can overcome such demonic domination. We sing, call upon the name of the Lord, your Savior, your Deliverer. Indeed, he is the only one who can successfully and permanently free us from Satan's power. Now, the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, can accomplish such a deliverance. That's what Peter is saying here. He did it when he walked around the world, and Peter's saying, and he's still doing it. What a marvelous truth that is. Jesus freed people from the power of the devil, doing so by the power of the Spirit that he left behind him for all of us to benefit from. So now Peter starts to wrap up the story of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he shares with his avid readers a central truth for. Everything swings on a central truth for. Without truth for, there would be only the story of a, the most remarkable man who ever lived. A story perhaps like those of Abraham and Moses and all the other great scriptural heroes, great men of God who lived and died and left a legacy. But here's what essential truth for declares. Jesus was raised from the dead. We sang that this morning. We, one way or another, sing it almost every week. We meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. Peter says, verse 40, they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day. Again, this is a truth that Luke had previously reported in his first, first book, the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, Luke had written, And the angel said to the women, this was on Resurrection Day, The angel said to the women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Don't you remember what he told you? You see, Jesus was not simply added to the long list of godly men and women who had lived and died after serving God faithfully in their own generation. God had raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. Now, there was no doubt that he had died. He had not merely swooned and then revived. Three days his body had lain in that tomb, guarded by some of Rome's best. I imagine Cornelius chuckling a bit. Cornelius the centurion chuckling a bit to himself as he pictured proud Roman soldiers twiddling their thumbs, guarding a tomb of a dead man, lest he escape. Or lest some people come to steal his body away. What a low-level assignment that would be. However, 
On Sunday morning, which was the third day, the tomb was found to be empty by the very women who had come to anoint his dead body. God had raised him from the dead, just like Jesus said he would. Now, this is an essential truth of this most marvelous message. There are those who claim to preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ who would say we can get along without that truth. The important thing is that we follow along in the teachings of Jesus. The important thing is that we try to pattern ourselves after Jesus. The important thing is this world become a nicer, kinder place due to the example that Jesus has set. So it really doesn't matter if he rose from the dead. We scientifically aware people know that doesn't happen. That's the mythology of it. But the important thing is his teachings live on forever. See, that's baloney. That's baloney. That's not part of our marvelous message at all. That's a lie. And if you lie about that, then none of it are you also going to declare as truth. So Peter declared it. Jesus was raised from the dead. And he said this in the face of a hardened soldier who had seen many people die, possibly even on the cross. Now, before Cornelius could put his analytical military mind to work, Peter pushed right ahead with essential truth five. Here it is. Jesus was seen by those who would be his witnesses. Verse 41, Peter says, He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, the apostles themselves, by us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Jesus was eating and drinking, going fishing, cooking a meal, doing all these things that that living people do. And he was doing it. Still in the flesh. Glorified flesh. Marvelous flesh. Seemed like he could appear and disappear at will, but it was him. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of it. We had meals together. Luke had already told us, his readers, in the very first chapter of the book of Acts. Remember that? Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. After his suffering, speaking of Jesus, he showed himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And now Peter's passing that fact on to Cornelius. What a marvelous message. Jesus had been resurrected. His resurrection had been witnessed, and many would say that's not only an essential fact, that is the climactic truth, the ultimate truth. The Apostle Paul seemed to be thinking that way when he wrote years later in his letter to the Romans, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, he said this, This is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, Peter, however, on this momentous day, when the door to the church was being opened to the Gentile world, Peter expanded the message to include two further truths after the truth that said Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and we are witnesses of that. Two more things. 
Sadly, these two things are more often than not left out of our contemporary gospel presentations. They do tend to overwhelm. So here we go. By the way, on your card today, as I mentioned, you might want to write down when we get all done, I was overwhelmed by the truth that. Both of these tend to overwhelm. Here's essential truth six. Jesus will one day judge all mankind. Peter says in verse 42, he, that is Jesus, is the one whom God, the Father, appointed as judge of both the living and the dead. The writer of the book of Hebrews makes this ominous observation. Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's a part of the gospel message that we probably don't find much use for or don't have to mention any kind of judgment after after death. And, And as a result, how many vulnerable young people Young adults, maybe even elderly adults in difficult times say, I'm just going to take my life. Because when you're dead, you're dead. And then we're done with all this. If it's not worth living anymore, then why live? Just take your life. End it. When you're dead, you're dead. Are Christians around saying to them, oh, that's not so. That's not so. When you're dead, you're anything but dead. For you, you exist, you continue on. And my Bible tells me that after we die physically, there's coming a judgment by God himself upon our lives. And there are ultimate destinations for human beings beyond just a box in the ground. Jesus will one day judge all mankind. I just wonder, over the last 30, 40 years or so, how many who have, quote, received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior know that he will be their future judge and that he will judge them according to the way they have lived their lives even in light of the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding or the Holy Spirit's attempted leading and guiding? What glory or disgrace have they brought to his name? How worthy of his commendation have they lived? See, there's a lot of people who feel very uncomfortable picturing my good buddy Jesus being my judge. And we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Because everything on earth will be forgotten. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face judgment. And God has appointed him, Jesus, as judge of the living and the dead. You see, if if you're at all uncomfortable seeing Jesus in this role, read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where Jesus in that day, the first century, is passing judgment upon seven various groups of believers. And he really dresses them down. He identifies where they fall short. 
He identifies his, his disappointment in them. He's judging them, evaluating them. You see, Jesus the judge is not the Jesus who is presented today often as everybody's buddy. You can decide which is more true to the marvelous message of the early church. Peter included it. God has appointed him as judge over both the living and the dead, and that day is coming. And then here's the seventh thing, the last thing. A good thing. Everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will receive forgiveness. Don't say it out loud, but just say it to yourself. This is true. This is true. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter if I hear this good news of the gospel only five minutes before I die, having lived the worst life of any human being who's ever lived a life. If I hear this glorious good news and I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe that everything I believed up till now has been false, Everything I've lived for has been misguided. But finally, I heard that the very Son of God take upon himself human flesh, and he lived on this earth as a perfect man, and then he laid down his life in the place of all us imperfect men, even the worst of us. And if we will accept him, if we will put our faith and trust in him, as the Savior of the world, as the one that God the Father has received, his sacrifice as being acceptable, that all who believe in him will receive forgiveness, no matter what they've done. Oh, what great news that is. It's better. It's better when you hear that great news way ahead of your death day. It's great if you hear that news when you're 9 or 10 or 11 or 12, some of you have received it when you're 34, 35, 36, and you've got a track record of, that kind of discourages you, whatever you got, those who believe in him, Peter says, will receive forgiveness. For he has paid it all. He is the one. He's demonstrated a life lived under the power of God and he lived it perfectly and then he sacrificed it on our behalf. And if you will believe that, and that doesn't mean just know about it, but to believe it, to trust yourself to it, to quit trying to make yourself better, quit trying to get to the point where God would say, well, that's, that's pretty well, that's good enough but to receive the fact that Jesus Christ has paid for your debt and you have them. You have lots of debts. You have lots of sins. We all have, a, as my mom would say, black marks all over our account. And to hear Jesus himself say, I know that. I know that. I love you anyway, and I laid down my life for you. And if you will believe that my death has been enough 
to pay for you and if you just absolutely throw your entire future destiny upon me and believe in me as the one that God has sent, believe in me as the one who has paid the price, believe in me as the one who will accept you and forgive you, then you will be forgiven. How, how good is that? Peter says, verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He doesn't even say we need to ask for forgiveness. But you tell me what sinner wouldn't automatically do that. If you know you're under the judgment of God and you know there's a possibility of forgiveness, of course, <laughs> to say I believe and trust in Jesus, of course you're asking for that. And then Acts chapter 13, later on, the Apostle Paul will write these words, will we'll share this in a message be it known to you that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's Paul was preaching to the Gentiles then. He said, know this, in this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And that's what makes our message marvelous. Believe you me, the judge will find sin in all of us. But the presence of genuine faith, trust in Jesus Christ alone, will bring forgiveness. Believe in and acceptance of him as the Lord over your life. Belief in and acceptance of him as being raised from the dead. Belief in and acceptance of him as the one who grants you forgiveness for sin. Those things bring to us eternal life. Our final thought says this. Only the full gospel can fully save. There are false gospels. Partial gospels, a little bit of the truth here and a little bit of the truth there. But the full gospel includes at least these seven things that Peter included. Talking to a group of those who had never heard the, the wonderful plan of God for them ever before. Oh, just embrace it. Be sure you embrace it all. Be sure that you can explain it to somebody else. Be sure you can explain the marvelous message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we share things today that have been repeated in one way or another for 2,000 years. We'll never get the same sense of newness that Cornelius had that day. He was hearing this for the first time. His house full of Gentile people were hearing it for the first time. We're going to see next week how they were affected by it. But Father, we do know your Holy Spirit can take something we've heard a hundred times and make it seem like the first time to where it just penetrates right into our heart. And we say, I need to be true to that. I need to be sure I believe that. I need to 
make sure that those I share my faith with know that this, these truths are all part of it. It goes beyond Jesus loves me. It goes beyond God has a wonderful plan for my life. Father, it's a whole package of truth. And it recognizes Jesus for who he has been declared to be exalted to the highest place. That at the name of Jesus, let's be sure today we abide by this. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He's the Lord. And doing so brings glory to you. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit demonstrated in him and now given to us. May we truly be seen as members of his church. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.